Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the HR Leaders Podcast, the show where we explore the future of work with industry experts and HR executives in the world's leading global brands. Today's show, we're going to be talking about why 85% of employees either quit or disengage and how to put an end to this trend. I'm joined by Michael Puck, Senior Partner, Human Insights Group at UKG. Welcome to the show, Michael. How are you? Chris, good afternoon. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm very excited to speak with you about this topic. Amazing. Where, where are you joining us from? I am in Tennessee in the United States. Nice. So it's probably nice and warm there, unlike us in the UK. It is actually not too warm right now. It's the comfortable time of the year. It's about in the, I would say, between 15 and 20 degrees. Yeah. Make, make make the most of it because I know it's either going to get really, really hot or really, really cold. There's no in between. It <laughs> will get really miserable. Yes. <laughs> We're ready. We're ready for that. Yeah. Before we go any further, tell everyone a little bit about yourself personally and your kind of journey to where we are now. Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up in Germany and I don't think that comes as a surprise just hearing my accent. Um, while in Germany, I did an apprenticeship program. I joined the military, really, really enjoyed the military. So much so that I signed up for 12 years. Um, that was at the time when, when Germany reunited. And so that predates me to, to the wall coming down. <laughs> but at that point in time, the military decided, the government decided that a little bit more money was needed. And those that had signed up for 12 years were given the opportunity to leave after eight, which I took advantage of. Because even so, I really liked the military. The idea that I knew at the age of 25 what my rank and pay would be at the age of 55 was just not appealing. I just couldn't stomach that type of consistency. <laughs> and so uh, after that, there's an, at least in Germany, there's a natural transition for officers in the military to go into what was then called personnel, which is now called um, you know, the people business or human resources. So I spent 18 years in human resources as a practitioner, actually with a British global company, an aerospace and defense company. Uh, worked in Germany, in the UK, and the majority of the time in the US, where I'm still located. And for the last six, seven years, I have kind of left the practitioner side, be more on the strategic consultant side to help businesses to really get a handle of the big picture items that many of them I find struggle with, the strategic mm -hmm. side of it, John. A lot to unpack there. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so did you do the, you had to, you did the full term in the military? I suppose you have no choice. It was a draft army back in the day. So I had to go for 18 months. I decided I signed initially up for four years. Loved it so much after the first year and a half that I signed up for 12. And I was in active military duty for eight years. Um, and yeah, it, it was it was a blast. Meaning the job, the environment, the, the camaraderie, it was all perfect. Before we jump into the topic in more detail, what were some of the lessons that you learned in the army that transferred into that is your, so your, your role as a HR? Would you a strict HR leader? <laughs> no, I'm not. If you if you think military and then transpose that to to HR, no, I'm I'm not. I'm just, I'm a typical German. That, <laughs> very efficient, means. very efficient HR leader. <laughs> let, let me just let me say that then. <laughs> no, but there's actually um, a very small thing. I, I attended Officers Academy in in Munich, and there was one very small lesson that I think has a high level of of really um, relevance to HR to how businesses are being run. And that message was leaders, or in this particular case, officers, always eat last. 
not only do we eat last, we also cater the food to the troops. And the reason that was given when we initially were introduced to that is it is more important for the troops to be well-fed and well-rested than it is for the officer. I think that is just something that made so much so much sense back then. And I think it makes a ton of sense in business environments as well. Because if you don't take care of your employees, they won't take care of you. And, and this, I'm not sure that was intended on your part, but that already leads immediately into our topic. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very true. It's very true. <clears throat> so on, on that point then, you know, why, why have companies not been able to increase the number of actively engaged employees over the past 10, 20 years? We've not seen a huge increase. I think there is a misunderstanding, and it might actually go back as far as 80 years when Abraham Maslow initially introduced his hierarchy of needs. Because if you think about that pyramid that he created in 1943, uh, employment was on the second from the bottom level under employ under safety needs. And, and so it was equated to making money. And for a long time, going to work really was the equivalent of earning money. And there was not much else around it, especially in the early days. I think that has shifted. And I think that has, has shifted substantially I just don't think that companies, all companies have really caught on to that transition yet. If you, just to give you an example, if you heavily rely as an employer on paying well, you create a commodity for yourself. If there are no other distinguishing factors, why employees would join you. And with the com commodity, meaning the distinguishing factor for the commodity is there's only one distinguishing factor, and that is the price or the cost. But employment to be a commodity is very dangerous because if employees join you because they get paid um, higher than anywhere else, they will also leave you for the very same reason because there's nothing else that makes employment sticky. And so today's employees have a wide variety of needs and expectations. And I don't believe that companies have really caught on to that notion yet. So mm -hmm. that's in a nutshell where I think the issue lies. Yeah. Why haven't we clocked onto this then? <laughs> What's, what, what, if, if we know this information, which I'm right. sure is out there, why is it, what, what's, what's stopping us from making these changes? I think, I think companies have for a very long period of time addressed the symptoms of that issue versus the underlying causes. And, and because they have gone about it in, a wrong, in the wrong way, they haven't had success. And if you don't have success, you're not really encouraged to continue to do the same thing over and over because we know what that is the definition of. So I believe it really took this, this bigger picture going down to, the, to the, the basics to understand what are the variables in the process. Um, I should have mentioned I'm an economist by training, so I'm trained to look at the big picture. And I love to connect dots. And, and the way I connected the dots in this particular case is, let's take a look what's really happening here. And I believe uh, a way to look at that, and I'm not saying this is the only way to look at it, but the way I've looked at it in the last few years, and then also did research around it to support it, is to say, what is it that today's employees actually expect? I have on a daily, definitely on a weekly basis, conversations with companies of, of any size. And I've asked this question consistently over the last two years. Um, so do you know what your employees are expecting? Um, so my research has found there's a total of 30 values that employees are seeking out. But if I ask companies how many of these values prior to describing them they're aware of or they're actively promoting, 
I'm normally being told anywhere between five to 10. Now, Chris, five to 10, let, let's go with 10, just to make it a little bit more, more compelling sounding. If they're aware of 10 of those values that employees are interested in, they're not aware of the other 20. And that makes significant blind spots in the process. So if you don't even know the full landscape of expectations, how will you ever be able to meet these expectations? And while money is important, and I didn't mean to say earlier, money is not relevant any longer. Money is a hygiene factor and it has to be right and it has to be fair. But, but once a certain level of, of compensation is reached or exceeded, money kind of falls down a little bit on the priority list and other things pop up higher. And yeah. that is where I think companies have not done a great job getting visibility, or even if they have visibility, in many cases, they have not done a great job in communicating and promoting these values. Mm -hmm. I think that's the underlying issue. Yeah. Can companies improve engagement with employee engagement initiatives? Because we see a lot going on. Some of it, you know, I'd love to get your perspective on this. Yeah. So that's, that's an interesting question and certainly has been attempted many times over. I do not believe that that is a possibility because simply it would address the, the symptom level and, and not the cause. Let me give you a little bit more of an example for that. So a symptom, for example, would be no commitment or little commitment. It could be low engagement, high attrition, um, poor customer service, poor product quality, maybe even um, um, low productivity. These are all symptoms, but they also happen to be, in many cases, key performance indicators that companies are focusing on. Take my word for it, just for the sake of argument right now, these are symptoms. If we assume these are symptoms, and, and let's say we visualize an iceberg, and, and that's what's reaching out of the water, those type of symptoms, what could be under the waterline? What are the actual causes that could contribute to low engagement, high attrition, and, and no commitment? So what I would propose is a toxic culture could be a contributing factor. Having a bad manager could be a contributing factor. Also, no recognition, no work-life balance. And again, this goes back to the 30 value currencies or 30 values. We call them value currencies even so they're non-monetary, um, that's what's important to employees because when they come on board with an organization, they don't ask for a toxic culture. They don't ask for a bad manager. But it's also not anything that's in their contract or that's even being discussed in the process of being hired. And what happens in many cases is employees have a set of expectations, some of which is, is built based on what they hear during the hiring process. Others uh, is based on past life experiences, past work experiences. Something is, is based on, I think, wishful thinking, what they would like it to be. But besides money and vacation and, and some of the other stakes that are being put in the ground where there is a clear communication between both parties, these type of things are not being discussed. And they're not even written down, they're not being talked about, but they still make up the overall expectation that employees have going into a business. Mm -hmm. uh, and that applies on the first day, on the 90th day, that applies after 10 years. If the gap between the expectations that individuals bring to a job and the actual experiences, meaning the reality of what they see on a day-to-day -day basis, if there is a gap that's too big, 
let's call it a chasm just to uh, exaggerate <laughs> a little bit the size of it. If that is a chasm between the two, employees do one of two things. They either quit when they cannot reconcile the gap between the two, or, and I would say the second option is actually worse than the first, they disengage because they feel like they, again, get the short end of the stick, but companies pushing for them to give their everything, but they don't think the company is delivering on their part. And so you cause that, that chasm between the two parties. And that's what I refer to when I, when I speak about the employer-employee dynamic. It is not on equal footing. It's not balanced out. And so if you don't address the underlying causes, to get back to your question, if you just try to tinker on the top with the symptoms, but you don't address the underlying issues, I don't believe you can fix the issue. I don't think you can create a trusting relationship by, by putting employee engagement initiatives in place, but not fixing the toxic culture and the bad manager. Does that make sense, Chris? No, 100%. There's no point putting all those initiatives in place if you're not treat treat you're just it's just you're just treating the symptoms and not the problem. Yeah. It makes it makes complete sense. But I suppose it's a it's e it's easier for companies to do that. Than it actually, is. It's, it's a check in the box. We did yeah. that. Yeah, exactly, exactly is what I was thinking. But um, it's it's the easier of the two approaches. And if there is a shortcut, companies might be prone to take the shortcut, but the shortcut doesn't deliver the outcome. Can a good employee engagement program give you a, um, a peak in, in engagement? Can there be an improvement temporarily? Yeah, absolutely. Is it addressing the underlying issues? Not really. I'll give you, I'll give you one UKG-specific example that really stood out to me when I joined the organization two and a half years ago. Because, again, I had my list of, of criteria that I was screening against. And one of these criteria was... I have to have um, a manager I can look up to. I can. I need to have somebody that I, I see as a role model for myself. Because even so, I'm officially middle-aged, maybe even a little bit beyond that. I still look for opportunities for growth, personal growth, not necessarily growth within an organization. Um, but I wanted to have somebody that I can look up to, somebody who is supportive, somebody I can work with, somebody who is willing to support innovation. Um, something that stood out for me for UKG is a statement that our CEO, Aaron Ayn, made where he says, every employee deserves a great manager. And while that is a favorable statement, UKG actually put a program behind it that enables managers, and, and this program has teeth, to be a good manager. And with that type of, of teeth behind a program, um, you end up with a lot of great managers within an organization. Mm -hmm. And and so that, I think, is where, where the rubber meets the road. Not only say it, then also do it. And it's not an easy program to implement, but it has delivered exceptional results. I feel like a lot of people have had time to assess their life and kind of think yeah. during the pandemic to think, do I really want to do this in my career? Is this really where I want to be? Like a lot of like now we're coming out of the pandemic. A lot of my friends, family members, and network are now looking at new opportunities. Mm -hmm. And look at, and uh, and uh, whereas before before the pandemic, they perhaps weren't thinking about it. But now they're thinking, this is a bit of a wake up call. Is this really what I want to do? Yeah. Uh, do you think there's going to be a big uh, shift uh, uh, in, in this in this space? I think the pandemic is a huge, huge catalyst. 
And I think companies that don't recognize that, I've been preaching for the last year since the beginning of the pandemic, if you think the job market has gotten easier, you are so wrong because the job market has become much, much more difficult. Even so, the unemployment rates were skyrocketing uh, temporarily. I said, it won't take long and it goes back down to zero talent pools. And now you have uh, a group of, of potential employees that had the time to rethink what's really important yeah, to them. Exactly. And I think that is that is powerful and, and also dangerous for companies that don't catch that train or jump on that bandwagon in order to be prepared for that. I'll give you an example um, how we internally, one message that stood out to me, again, by our CEO, um, with the beginning of the pandemic, he sent out weekly video messages to all employees, all, I think, 12,800 at the time. And um, not only did he um, did he um, always end with, you know, give hugs and kisses to, to your families, thank them for supporting you. He also empowered us as employees to, uh, to, to take midday naps, to walk away from work and, and go and play a computer game, read a book, do whatever you need to do in order to take care of yourself. That's the most important part at the time that we're in, take care of yourself, and 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 I tell you that message resonated so loudly um, because it came from really from the basis from the foundation of I care about my people and our our as we call a tagline is our purpose is people and that came out of the merger between uh, Ultimate Software and Kronos but it is such a matching tagline for who we are and what we do it it really energizes us to come to work every single day. Definitely. Um, you mentioned those those thirty data points. What were the ones that were companies were really missing? I'm sure there were some ones that stood out. That, <laughs> that, what what were the common ones? So you said there was ten typically companies mentioned. What were those common ones? And then tell us some of the ones that companies were just completely missing or didn't even think about. Yeah. So that widely differed by company, and and it also widely differs on which of those are most important by industry, sometimes by location. Mm -hmm. um, so that is, that's really hard to pinpoint. I'll give you a few just to give you a sense. So there are five groups of them, uh, just to break it out a little bit. But I'll give you what, what we have found to be the most influential ones. Okay, let's um, do that. Because that, I think, is something where most companies probably want to start. Yes. Um, one is autonomy. or Let me give you two. Autonomy and purpose. This is something that seems to be very high on the list of employees. And I think it has become even more important over the course of the last year. Manager, belonging, and culture are three that we see quite frequently being ranked not very high, but they are very important. And, and manager is probably the most frequent one. Because if you think about it, the impact that a manager can have on my day-to-day -day experience at work, at work is huge. And having good managers is critically important. Most companies, I create a little impact uh, assessment for companies that I walk them through one-on-one. -on -one. And so they end up self-evaluating themselves across all 30 values. And manager is most consistently the lowest rated value of all 30. And that tells you something right there, I believe. Um, let's see, what else do we have? Recognition. Recognition is, is also one of these really important ones that companies could do very cheaply, very inexpensively, but many of them don't do it. Flexibility is huge. 
this is something that has grown over the last yeah, of course. months as now well. Yeah, more than ever. Yeah. yeah. Um, mentorship, and, and I think one of the biggest ones from a growth perspective is development. And that is that rings more true for younger individuals than for older individuals, or I should say more seasoned individuals, to be politically correct from HR perspective. Um, but that's I think that's uh, the list of I think that were close to ten the ten values mm -hmm. that we see to have the biggest impact on organizations. But then you also have technology inclusion benefits. Benefits is big because there's now a different set of benefits required. Um, than there was prior to the pandemic. The impact on mental health through the pandemic is huge. And how does the benefits package that the company provides, and I know this is way, very different in the US from the UK, but what is the companies can do to really help individuals to manage mental health issues? And how can companies remove the stigma around mental health? Because most employees are not even comfortable to mention anything that could be remotely perceived as having to do with mental health. But as you can imagine, mental health is such a big issue now because the loneliness, the isolation, all of that has built on top of other issues that pre-existed before the pandemic. And so employees are struggling with the mental health side and companies need to jump on that. But that's just one out of 30 getting them all 30 right, or at least the set that matters the most to your particular workforce is critically important. Where, where do you recommend it? Because I'm sure people listen thinking, wow, I've got a lot of work to do. <laughs> um, you know, 30 different areas. Uh, where, where do you recommend people listening to, to start? You know, you know, what's the starting point? What are, some, what are some practical steps they can take now yeah. to, to, I think move the the very... to move the needle? Yeah, the very first step is to really see the full landscape of the 30 values. Uh, as I said earlier, most companies have plenty of blind spots because they look only at a third of the values. Getting the full sense and, and really um, getting a sense of where do I have strengths and where do I have areas of improvement? That's the very, the very first thing. I, I offer, and, and that's obviously limited based on it's just me doing it, but I offer a 30-minute impact analysis to say, let's walk through it. Let's take a look where you are at the moment, and then let's identify the top three action items you can take within the next 90 days that will help you to move in the right direction. I've written articles about it, so there are references out there I can make available. Chris, if you want to share that with your audience. Yeah. I'm sure people are like, I want that list <laughs> of 30, so if we can grab a copy of that somewhere, and we'll put it in the comment section for everyone. Yeah, it's it's not an easy, meaning the, the first assessment step is super easy, takes about 10, 15 minutes to complete. What comes afterwards is an ongoing, it's an it's like a continuous improvement effort from a from an employee perspective, from a what value experience perspective. And and it has to be an on an ongoing basis because these type of expectations are dynamic, they're not static. They change. And the pandemic was a great example how quickly something can change. And now companies need to retool and address different desires and needs. Do you think that um, the pandemic is going to increase the, the, the speed that companies are now taking this more serious? No, I, I think if there's anything positive that came out of the pandemic, it is that it is acting as a catalyst for companies to revisit, reevaluate, and take the right steps. Um, UKG is putting out on an annual basis what we call the megatrends. 
And one of the mega trends, there, there are normally three. And so one of the mega trends for 2021 is people before profits. It is a shift in how companies look at how important people are in the process. And, and this is long, long overdue. This should have happened 30, 40 years ago. Mm. But we were so focused on exploring technology and, and, and all these cool manufacturing technologies that were developed in Japan and in all the other stuff, but people. And I think now, with the pandemic being the catalyst for this, I think now companies are really driven to the point to say, we need to take a look at the people side. And we truly believe that people will make all the difference. People are the key stakeholder and all other stakeholders are around it. If you take care of your people, your people take care of your business. Mm -hmm. the, the one term that I think I would also recommend for individuals to, to research or to look up, because it has been around for almost 50 years in the literature, it's called the psychological contract. And the psychological contract, I know it's not well known, but I think it's very important to understand because it, it, it describes really the relationship between the employer-employee when it comes to expectations. What is it employees expect from, from their employers, but also what is it that employers expect of their employees? And if that psychological contract is not honored, then there is no basis of or foundation of trust between both parties. And as a result, engagement, commitment, productivity, customer service, it all suffers. Because imagine, Chris, you and I, if we work for an organization and we don't like how we're being treated because our expectations are not being met, how compelled are we to really give discretionary effort and to push extra hard and to, to bring ourselves completely into the role? Mm -hmm. That's what companies are asking but are they also honoring the psychological contract? So I think it's a great starting point to do some research to say, yeah, are we meeting those expectations? And do we even know what the expectations are? Yeah. And I think that's where I would recommend companies start their, their research uh, because that's where I believe the root of, of all evil sits. <laughs> yeah. And that starts from the really big, all the way from the beginning, right? From the moment they even read a job spec <laughs> yeah <laughs> all the way through right this isn't once they're employed this is from the very very beginning the amount of times i'm sure everyone listening has been hired in a role and they're like wait a minute this is not what i signed up for um as well so we need to be looking at the entire end-to-end -end process fully agree chris i would take it a step further to say companies should try to to push their potential new hires off by being brutally honest because if you're not brutally honest, you contribute for them to build a set of expectations that is not rooted in reality. Mm. If And this could be not you saying something that's not true. It could be simply you not saying something that they need to hear. For example, if I'm being hired in and the hiring manager knows that my manager is somewhat of a difficult guy to deal with, then tell me that during the interview process. I know this is completely again. <laughs> Could you imagine though? I, 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 know, I, I see what you're saying. The radical transparency would, it would, because at the end of the day, that's only going to happen anyway and they're going to leave. Yeah. So why, yeah. so why, so why not be completely transparent up front and, 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 as opposed to going through all of that effort onboarding someone, becoming a company, yeah. 
only to find out. And that that's something that drives me crazy with companies with all these kind of false promises. It's like they're gonna get found out. Yeah. <laughs> it's like people will find out as well. So you better be, you know, completely transparent internally and externally because people are gonna find out anyway, right? Um, no, you, that, Chris. Absolutely, that's exactly what I think companies need to do because otherwise they will they they knowingly contribute to broadening the gap between expectations and reality. Mm-hmm. And and there will be some that companies cannot influence because my past experiences, um, work experience also contribute to what type of expe- expectations I have. If I don't verbalize them, if I don't ask questions around that, companies can't respond to it. And so that's a set that they might not, not have any influence over. But if there is something negative within in the organization, I would propose the following approach, not just say, do you really want to work here because this culture <laughs> sure really you want to work? Sucks. You sure you want to work here? Do you know this guy no, is going to be a manager? You don't want to work with him. <laughs> that's, not, that's not what I'm saying, but I'm exaggerating just to make the point. I, I, I get say it. Our culture can be, let's say culture is, is something that the company has identified as a point of struggle. Um, our culture can be tough at times. Here, here are three initiatives that we currently have in place, and we will continue to work on this. I just want you to know it's not always great. That level of dialogue builds a trusting foundation between the two parties that need to trust each other in order to be beneficial for both sides. Yeah. It's also quite attractive in a sense that, you know, when you sometimes, again, just thinking about past experiences, when you're being interviewed, everything's so rosy, everything's perfect, right? Because they're trying to paint this picture for you to attract you. And sometimes that puts me off because I'm like, what are they hiding? What are they not yeah. saying? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I'm sure everyone can relate to that. You're like, yeah, you know, I've, I'm not, this isn't my first rodeo. There's got to be something in here. And I think that level of transparency will will attract people um in a way i know it doesn't sound like it when you say it out loud but i think you you are you're right that i would appreciate that transparency and i think you'd also stand out it'd be very refreshing actually Mm -hmm. for someone to go oh wow okay this is and and that and that also is a reflection of the culture of the business that you have that transparency and that we're going to tell you where good or bad we're going to be transparent um about it and and if you think about the 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 rat's tail that comes with not doing it Let's say we, we know that turnover is anywhere between four and 10 times higher in the first year than it is on average throughout employment. And so if you don't take that type of brutally honest approach, you just add to the statistic. You just make it significantly more likely for individuals to leave. So you have to train yet another person. You have additional cost for the recruiting process. You, you slow yourself down. You you spend more money in the process. It's it's frustrating because your statistics don't look good. If a candidate asks you, so what's your retention numbers? And you say, oh, it's, it's about minus five over the first year. Who wants to work in an environment like that? It's the long-term thinking that really drives for this to come out first to say, okay, that's it, 100% honest, brutally honest, and I fully agree. I think individuals are sophisticated in 2021. They wanted to know the truth, and if you don't tell them the truth, they find out they might actually feel it when you tell them. They can read it on Glassdoor, right? 
they can see it on social media you know there's no longer this you know we have the there's a thing called the internet and social media <laughs> exists um as well so people are going to f- a number of people by the way in the in linkedin comments said michael said why not let go of that difficult manager <laughs> <laughs> no and, and that's a different side of the coin 100 agree with that that's a different side of the coin this is where companies also need to take action and, and again the example i gave earlier ukg um, you deserve a great manager. Every employee deserves a great manager. The manager is being given visibility, opportunity, and training to get there. But if you don't get there, then there might be other opportunities outside the organization where you can explore your manage, managerial skills. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's sometimes you have to take that type of tough love approach in order to get outcomes. Yeah. And a, a few people wrote, like, how how do you manage these expectations when they when they tend to be unrealistic and i think that's the point you know when when if you if you try and manage expectations and make seem feel that everything's amazing and there's gonna be no issues you also shoot you're shooting yourself in the foot really because Mm -hmm. when those things do arise you didn't manage expectations so actually you think at the time you're doing a good thing (laughs) by painting this great picture but in reality you're just making things worse because when when that when that that laptop doesn't turn up at their house on time for their onboarding on their first day or 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 when you know it, whatever it may be you know I've had a number of uh, people over the last twelve months they haven't told those new starters that oh by the way we've got a delay in getting this technology to you as we've onboarded yeah. you remotely and rather than telling them it's going to be two weeks late they don't say anything because they're worried about upsetting them i'm like well you just haven't managed expectations uh my wife's company i'm <laughs> sorry ha- were, was an example of that where they said yeah it'll, it'll be there tomorrow and then two months later it turned up and we were like oh what's this we've got a laptop now so it's uh, and that's that's not a good experience you want for a new someone just starting a new organization uh, no, so. and Chris, i have i've heard i've heard stories where employees were walking out of the orientation so they, it was their first day on the job. It was a manufacturing company, large manufacturing company, and they had still everything on paper. And employees were asked to sit through anywhere from four to six hours of filling out paperwork. And so I ended up talking to the manager overseeing that process who said, we need to do something. This is unacceptable because their statistics suggested that 10% of all new hires walk out from the job on the first day. Oh my God. Because of the paperwork. (laughs) Oh my God. Low paying job. um, It's so bad. If if you know it's that bad, but this is just a symptom of something underlying being very wrong. And it's it's the mismatch between expectations and experiences. Yeah. Oh look, there's a lot. There's a lot more to discuss in this area. <laughs> it is, yeah, and thank you to everyone for joining us as well. Um, really, really appreciate it. Um, before I let you go, Michael, if there's sort of a parting piece of advice you give to everyone, what would that be? And then where can everyone connect with you if they want to learn more and obviously uh, follow you? Yes, I'll be happy to share resources. We have quite a few available. I think looking really into the psychological contract, more specifically, how do you match expectations? with experiences and i think the very first step is to really learn what are today's employees expecting and um, as i mentioned earlier chris that differs by geographic location by industry but there are also reoccurring themes that you can build upon having good managers and a strong positive culture are certainly two of the very reoccurring very frequently important um, values Mm -hmm. Um, reach out to me on linkedin 
you can find me under the handle Puck N U S A. That still dates back to <laughs> so okay. P U C K N U S A. We'll put a link. We'll put a link below to make. It All right, easier. very good, very good. I'll be happy to to continue the dialogue because I think this is one of the very fundamental opportunities that businesses have. A hundred percent. Well, look, thanks again for taking the time to join us. It means a lot. And for everyone listening, thanks for all your questions. Uh, I'll, I'll forward them more to Michael <laughs> so he can uh, reply back to you <laughs> on LinkedIn as well. Uh, also, if, if you're not already, you know, a follow, uh, don't already follow us, make sure you hit the follow button on my profile. That way you'll be notified whenever we go live or post new content. And also you can subscribe to the HR Leaders podcast on any platform. We're everywhere. So <laughs> uh, apart from that, Michael, thanks for your time. And I look forward to doing this again soon. Okay. Chris, thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. Fantastic. Bye, everyone. See you next time.